0: Well, this is hour number three on Wednesdays, and it has come to be known as left, right, and center. That's what we call this portion of the program. Uh, I welcome to the studio uh, Robert Metz and Jeff Schlemmer, who will speak today representing, respectively, the right and the left side of the political spectrum. But I want to say, as we do most days on the show, it's not that cut and dried, and it never is on social issues, with people of goodwill, anyway. Uh, these fellas both, while well, they cross swords, they also cross paths from time to time, and I think it makes it that much more interesting. Uh, welcome to both of you today. I want to start by reading a letter, uh, a fax actually, sent in by Martin and Marion Close. And they say, uh, Dear Sir, my wife and I very much enjoy your new feature Left, Right and Center. Although when Don Kelly was filling in last week, it might better have been called Left, Right and Left. Please take your time before inviting anyone as close-minded as Susan Eagle on your show again. I don't think she's closed minded She believes what she believes, and that's part of what the show is all about. Anyway, here's the, uh, the heart of it. They say, we are hoping your guests might consider talking about the role of government in controlling human nature. For example, should the city or the province be able to restrict the operation of casinos and beer stores, etc., simply because they, the government, think the public can't be trusted to regulate itself? seems to me the left probably favors more control while the right would probably like to see less how accurate an assessment is that yours very truly martin and Marion. well bob i'm going to start with you how accurate assessment is that in terms of the right do you think uh, philosophically the light right would like to see less government control of that type of thing
1: well philosophically i think the right is kind of split and, and it is it is fragmented i mean you you, you have heard of efforts to unite the right. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm, you know, making any opinions here, I may be speaking for a certain fragment of the right. But what concerns me about government um, regulating in the sense that you're talking about is whether they're regulating for the sake of protecting our individual rights or whether they're regulating for the sake of maintaining some kind of government monopoly and restricting people's rights to compete with them in that monopoly. Um, For years, we've been told, for example, that gambling is a is a vice is a sin is not something that people should be doing and not something that society should tolerate so not only did government ban it for years but once it decided to legalize it it monopolized it took over the industry entirely because it knew this was a lucrative cash cow it knew that people like to gamble it knew that people um enjoy it as a form of entertainment or whatever and um again wants to encroach on an industry that it can use any kind of excuse to uh, maintain a a monopoly that's maintained for no other reason than for money.
0: So there's no other reason for a government to be involved in gambling, for example, except for the money.
1: No. Uh, And as far as gambling itself, I think it's a personal choice. I think the issue of where a casino um, is put is is an issue based on private property rights and like you know if you're a neighbor you know if they want to put a casino next to you at your house you have a right to say something about that but it's not an issue about gambling per se.
0: Okay Jeff what about uh, Bob says that uh, the only reason the government's involved in this is because they can make some money at it is there another role for government is there a role beyond that do you think? Yeah,
2: I think there is, and uh, it, it's interesting in the sense with gambling as an example where we've had a lot of reaction from both the left and the right wing governments because it does seem to be so lucrative, but uh, clearly what's motivated uh, the uh, the whole debate around casinos in the first place is a concern about gambling and whether gambling is uh, something that is bad for our community. When you talk about the laws in a community uh, and government, basically this is something that's come uh, together over, over centuries, obviously, but to say working together we can get more done than we can working apart, And in order to work together, we got to have some rules and everybody needs to know the rules. Uh, fundamentally, I think that's what defines civilization, but it's a question of how far you take that. Uh, and certainly in the last 20 years, we've seen a trend towards micromanagement by government through laws, You know that every time a problem comes along, they have to pass a law, and it's always a long one, and it's always got a bunch of regulations and a bunch of s- paperwork attached to it. And I don't know if anybody would defend that, particularly uh, right now, although some people would probably say it's inevitable. There's no way around
0: it. Well, I want to go back to the phrase that Martin and Marion used in their letter, and uh, the sentence, we are hoping your guests might consider to talking about the role of government in controlling human nature. Um, Jeff, I'll throw it back to you again, beyond the the casino issue here, in terms of human nature. And casinos is one of them, beer stores, liquor stores, uh, uh, legality of drugs, etc., etc. The government has certainly set itself up to be the arbiter of a great many things that that, uh, in other societies are considered to be individual choices.
2: Is this a positive thing for our society? Uh, Well, it should be in the sense that the government should be reflecting the values of the society, and and, uh, I'm trying to remember a lecture that I once heard about types of laws and how they they define two types of laws. One type of laws that were based on uh, a mirror image of morality, and another type of law that were regulatory, like for instance taxation laws, where nobody's suggesting that uh, taxation has anything to do with morality. It's just government wants money. But in dealing with laws like casinos, Sunday shopping, alcohol, and all those kinds of things, hopefully the government is listening to what the majority of the people want and is passing laws that reflect what the majority of people want. So it's not government imposing anything on anybody. It's us imposing these disciplines on ourselves,
1: ideally. Bob, would you agree with that? Mm, Partially. I'm, I'm sitting on two sides of what I hear Jeff saying. I agree we need rules to work together. I think we've already invented those rules. They're called individual rights. And what an individual right states is that no individual may coerce another individual to abide by his particular standards or by his choices or his personal preferences. And to me, is the minute we violate that principle, we cease to be a civilization and we cease to be a society. So, you know, in talking about, for example, if gambling is bad for a community, well, gambling per se is not. Millions of people gamble and they play cards, they, they go to bingo halls, uh, whatever. What, is, what may be harmful, not to the community, but to perhaps a significant number of individuals, is when any sort of... Uh, Habit, doesn't matter whether it's gambling, drugs, uh, alcohol, whatever, becomes intrusive and prevents a person from leading a normal life and being able to uh, survive but who de- on that. But who, but who defines what normal is? I mean, if I want to gamble
0: my life away and gamble my money away, is that anybody's business but mine?
1: No, and that's exactly why I always rely on individual rights. That's how we decide. Uh, if if what whatever your habit is as long as it does not encroach on another person's right to be left alone and not want to not have to be forced to deal with you you have a right to do whatever you want with your own life and your own body now Jeff the uh, the government un- under which we operate today at least the set of laws
0: have uh, a, a, a certain significant amount of that has evolved under um, what many would consider to be left leaning governments although they may have clothe themselves. Out. I mean, when I say left, I'm talking about the, uh, the you know, social activism and, and, and democratic socialism and all of that sort of stuff that, that suggests that all of us together can figure out a way to take care of all of us together. Um, I want to come back to my example again. I, I, I want to gamble my brains out. I, you know, I want to spend every money, I, every penny I can get my hands on. Um, is there any role for the government to step in and say, no, we don't think you should do that?
2: Well, again, theoretically, if, if uh, the majority of people in society say we think gambling is bad, we look at Las Vegas, and we think that it tr- attracts crime and prostitution and those other things, whatever, uh, if the majority want it, then that's what our democracy is well, about. No, no, well, no, wait a
0: minute, though, wait a minute, because that's not what democracy is all about. If the majority of people tomorrow, if 51% said we think uh, everybody in the 49% who disagrees with us should have their heads chopped off, that's not going to happen, but that is, that is the rule of the majority. So See, our, go- our government well, that, <laughs> isn't purely,
1: but our government
0: isn't purely about what the majority you
1: wants. Now here I yeah. disagree very strongly with you Jeff, because I don't think that rights are subject to vote. I think that you when don't like we the dis- charter of rights though. Well, <laughs> the charter of rights is a is a is a joke. I mean it, it gives us a whole plate of fundamental freedoms on the one side and then on the other it takes them away. But nevertheless, a right is something we've already defined that we must have as a rule between us. You know, that's one thing I like Dr. Laura Lessinger said in the afternoon one time. She said that uh, rights are rules, and, and individual rights are rules for individuals, how to get along with each other. And I think the primary rule is that, that I would like to see my government to exist to prevent other people from imposing their majority views on me. Not the reverse. Me know
2: that, uh, you know, uh, coming from a left-wing perspective, when I think about uh, governments that are more uh, strict, I guess I think of sort of the law and order aspect of the right-wing side, where it's sort of like it seems like there are right-wingers who want to define um, what other people are going to get away with. Marijuana, for instance, where there's a strong uh, uh, move in society, or there appears to be a fairly strong move to say we shouldn't legalize marijuana in spite of the fact that uh, it appears that this trial that was recently held, this Chris Clay trial, that there was tons of medical evidence to say it's not that bad.
1: Um, but well, from coming from the left,
2: see, I thought it was the right-wingers who were strict.
1: Well, I don't know. I, I think you'd be very surprised. There's been a lot of right-wingers, uh, myself included. I don't believe in drug prohibition at all. In fact, we even helped Chris Clay out in his uh, court case, but, uh, y- and you'll find people like William F. Buckley and people all over the right of the mm-hmm. spectrum th- coming out saying very loudly that we must get rid of drug laws. Uh, Nobel uh, laureate economist Milton Friedman, mm-hmm. top of the list. Um, and the word is just loud and clear that things like drug laws, again, look at the type of law. What is the drug law all about? It's about maintaining a monopoly or alcohol, maintaining a liquor control board. It's not liquor they're controlling. It's the marketplace they're controlling. They're preventing little guys from making money off it. And because they sell it as though they're controlling liquor, which is ridiculous. You can walk in a liquor store, stock up for five years. Mm-hmm. They're not controlling anything. It's a tough one, though, you know, and it's,
2: they talk about oh, hard cases make bad law, that you should never make a law because of a particular bad thing that happened, because it'll probably be a bad law. But I look at um, a situation that we've seen increasingly, and that is uh, mental illness. And uh, you have people who are not um, who are free to walk around but may have a mental illness and may uh, need help and we've had them come into our clinic where people are clearly in crisis they can't look after themselves they've been thrown out of every clinic in t- or every uh, shelter in town because they're disruptive and so on right now the way the law is we can't do anything for them, because we can't do anything that's involuntary. Uh, in that case, it seems like a good argument could be made, I know that Grant, Grant Hopcroft has, uh, has often said this, that we need to be able to take them in and help them, but right now we don't, because we step back and say, you have individual rights to liberty, uh, well, and you can die in a grate before the, we're going to do is, about it.
1: The, the problem is, the average citizen is not in a position to diagnose someone as being mentally ill. I think you can right away tell if somebody's a problem to society if they're, if they're creating harm to someone. Like, uh,
0: What about themselves, though, if they're creating harm for themselves?
1: Uh, again, that's, it, that's a tough decision. You have to decide whether they're, rea- they're acting rea- rationally and who's responsible for their actions. I mean, to the extent, uh, for example, parents with their children, they have a lot of say over those children because they're responsible for the children's upkeep and, and they're paying for them, basically, for, for their survival. But if the person who we may think, you know, he may just be an eccentric. I, uh, when I was in banking, I knew some millionaires are dressed like bums. Mm-hmm. And they went down <laughs> well, the street, to... and you'd swear that there was something wrong with them.
2: The fellow in Toronto last week who uh, had just been kicked out of his, uh, his boarding house uh, and had some mental issues, and he's the guy who pushed the woman in front of the subway. It's like, if we have to wait until they do something, then by then it's often too late, whether it's to someone else or to themselves. And that's just an example. I don't know where I stand on that issue.
1: But... Well... To, to do something. No, you're talking about a very specific violent act, and that's clearly a reason to put someone in jail. It's like saying that you're going to lock someone in jail for a murder uh, before he does it, just, in, just to prevent him from doing it. I mean, you can't use that kind of logic. I think law... Again, this comes down to the role of government. Can, can government actually prevent anything? No, it cannot. It can only be used as a recourse of instrument. Well, it can prevent if there's enough rules in place and if you got enough police uh, and enough soldiers and enough guns. Right, you would need a totalitarian state or you'd have to be able to hire your own private police to even attempt... To prevent something, like presidents and leaders of countries do, they have an actual preventative force, and even that force is often ineffectual.
0: This is left, right, and center on Talk of the Town. My guest this morning, Jeff Lemmer, Jeff Jeff Lemmer on the left, <laughs> Jeff <laughs> Schlemmer on the left and Robert Metz on the right. If you'd like to join us this morning, if you have any insights you'd like to share or questions you'd like to put to our guests, you're more than welcome. The telephone numbers are 643-1290, or for you can tell cellular customers out there, star twelve ninety. It is indeed its a special edition of Talk of the Night. Not a special edition, but a special time of the week. We called it Left, Right, and Center. Robert Metz is here, re- representing those who uh, tend to see themselves on the right side of the political spectrum, and Jeff Schlemmer for those on the left side. Um, we've been talking this morning uh, in response to a letter from Martin and Marion Close, and I'll come back to their original question again. We're hoping your guests might consider talking about the role of government in controlling human nature. For example, should the city or province be able to restrict the operation of casinos, beer stores, etc., cetera, et cetera, simply because they think... The public can't be trusted to regulate itself. I want to move this on to uh, perhaps some contentious ground, more contentious ground here. Um, the issue of prostitution in this country. Um, this is definitely an attempt by the government to control human nature. Uh, we can argue until the cows come home, well, you know, the morality of prostitution, but the, but the reality of it, we cannot argue. There's no room for argument because it is real. It does happen. The government has definitely set itself up to a certain extent to say this is a, a, an area of human activity that we are going to control um, because of a an assumed collective morality. I think that's the best way to put it. Um, Bob was talking before about financial monopolies. Well, the government doesn't make a whole lot of money off prostitution um, pr- because it isn't le- it legal. Well, it, it's le- it is legal, and it is, it's legal to be a prostitute. It's not legal to take money. I don't know. It's too complicated for me. But, Jeff, let me ask you. You are a lawyer. That to me, there's a very clear example where the government is trying to to control human nature in one sense they're're they're, they're attempting to say this is a human activity um, it's not murder it's not rape it's not it's not robbery you know it's the free exchange of, of uh, goods and services between two adults but we the government think we know what's best
2: you shouldn't be allowed to do that
0: is that a reasonable role for government to take
2: well uh, I don't know I guess uh, it's it's certainly one that's not taken by lots of other governments around the world that we've certainly seen governments in europe where they license it and uh... uh... you know where you have bordellos that are that are perfectly legal and uh... i guess that that it comes back again to our society and whether uh, abhorrence of prostitution is something that is still the will of the majority of our society. Uh, That's something that I think may be changing and I think that the fact that the law is so complicated may be a reflection of that. One of the ways that governments deal with uh, with issues that seem to be in a state of flux may be that they may have a law that they don't enforce or they have a law that's so complicated nobody can understand it. I I don't really understand them either. I gather that it is okay to be a prostitute Mm. but you can't solicit uh, Uh, yeah. You can commit the act, but you can't talk about it. I guess, and again, I guess idea, one would argue, or could argue that if we have a law that's that vague, that we shouldn't have a law at all. That, uh, it's just uh, intellectually dishonest to say, you know, well, we're dealing with the problem, but we're not deal- really dealing
0: but with it. But it is a problem, you know, because it's, uh, it co- contributes to the moral decay of society. It, it potentially contributes to the spread of sexually transmitted diseases. You don't believe that, do you, Jim? Well, I'm, I'm asking, I'm saying, because this is the rationale that, that, that is used, and no, again...
1: No, no, th- but you don't believe that even the government's rationale is genuine because I don't accept your premise that they're trying to regulate human nature. They're regulating economics. If there was no money involved in a transaction between a prostitute and her client, she could screw as many people as she wants all day long, and there wouldn't be a lawman there for a minute to stop her. What he's there for is to stop that dollar changing palms.
0: And yet if she gets that dollar, I'm not sure I agree with you, if she gets that dollar from this gentleman, um, she is required under the laws of Canada to declare that as income, She's not charged because she earned the dollar through
2: prostitution, but she
0: is required to declare it as income and pay tax on it.
2: Correct. And I think this kind of it, it back isn't to it? our, our <laughs> Uh, Judeo-Christian uh, background, I think. I think I think that's where the law comes from, that I think in the Eastern uh, tradition, for instance, they don't have that same abhorrence of prostitution, and uh, you know, that's a whole other issue about Canadians going to the Far East mm-hmm. uh, to find prostitutes. But it is something that uh, that is interesting, because I, I think you could say throughout the world that uh, there are certain laws, like for instance, you shouldn't kill people. Those are almost universal laws, mm-hmm. probably, but prostitution is one that's quite different. And, and we, for whatever historical reasons, have decided we don't like prostitution, so we have laws We seem to have loosened up somewhat, so we have laws that we don't enforce, uh, and uh, it's a real mess. So, should we should we abandon those laws? Uh, Well, personally, it seems to me that uh, yes, that uh, it doesn't make sense to have laws that you're not enforcing. For one thing, it makes a real Problem for the police as far as how they deal with but that. But you've got, stuff. but you've got two, two uh, respond, two
0: solutions to that. One is to begin to enforce them, and the second is to eliminate them. And I'm asking you, with your, with your left cap on, which, which do you think most of your fellow travelers on the left would agree with?
2: Which of those solutions? I think they would say abandoning them uh, would be the way to go because uh, that more closely reflects society's values today. I don't think that most left wing people would say that prostitution should be, uh, should be, there should be a crackdown on prostitution. Now, now, Bob, your
0: contention earlier was it doesn't matter what most people think, that there are certain inalienable rights or fundamental rights. Uh,
1: Absolutely. And, you know, when you talk about human nature, human nature is to be economic. I mean, animals don't have economics. That's something that's uniquely human. And what that means is that we trade. We trade value for value, whatever that may be, whether it's a legitimate product or good or service or something that some people might consider illegitimate, uh, such as prostitution. Um... Uh, For whatever reasons people may have feelings for or against prostitution, they're entitled to them and they're entitled to their privacy and to their opinions and to not having it shoved in their face. The problems we have in society today is that uh, you cannot be on the fence. You can't be halfway in between. You can't say that prostitution can be legal, but solicitation is not. There 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 goes your freedom of speech right out the window. And that's Although I think you're, one of those fundamental freedoms we I, have.
2: I dare to suggest that you're sort of farther off on the right than than the Reform party, for instance. I don't expect them to come out with a plank anytime soon saying
1: legalized prostitution. No, I'd probably be in disagreement with the Reform party or probably with any official political party uh, other than Freedom Party. Uh, on this issue, but uh, nevertheless, when I talk to people in the background and and what they say in private, it's often very different from the public face Mm -hmm. they put forward, Mm -hmm. because they're trying to appeal to this perceived notion that a majority of people support these kinds of laws, which I don't believe. I don't think it's true. I don't think it's true for a minute, But, but they're a noisy minority, and they sound like a majority, so... We have these laws. I mean...
2: Can well, marijuana is a good example. It's, it's very hard yes. for any
1: politician to say, I support decriminalization
2: of marijuana, because Absolutely. the next day's headline will be, Pothead supports decriminalization yeah. of marijuana. Exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. In spite of the fact, and I, and I suspect you gentlemen would agree, that I think the majority of Canadians today, if asked... Today, should we decriminalize, I think the majority would say yes. Would you agree?
2: Yeah, yeah I think so. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Um, I want to, uh, again, come back around to somewhere we were a moment or two ago. We were talking about uh, beer stores and liquor stores. Um, certainly, this is a government, at least the government claims the attempt is to control. And, Bob, you made the point earlier that they're not controlling it, and you can back a transport truck up Pretty to a good. liquor store if you've got enough money yeah. and buy it. Um, Jeff, in in terms of those kinds of restrictions on human activities and human behavior, is there a philosophical basis? Bob says no.
1: Bob says it's strictly economic. Do you see a philosophical basis? No, no, no. I I didn't say that. Well, all right. We'll get back to that. No, no. What what did you say? Well, I said the government is motivated by uh... by the economics of it in terms of that but it is a philosophical issue in terms of what our rights are that's a very fundamental philosophical issue
0: okay Jeff from your side is is there a uh, again from the perspective on the left is there a reason that fits in with the leftist
2: philosophy for the government to control liquor sales for example uh, yeah, although it's, in some ways, you never know sort of where, where my own personal views are diverging from sort of a wider uh, left-wing view, but uh, my my prude side comes out. I think liquor laws are a good thing, that we need them in society. I, I, I supported the Sunday sh- uh, closing mm-hmm. laws uh, because I... I from wherever it is that I've gotten my values, see these things as contributing to a decline in sort of the general morality of our society, that it was a nice thing that there was a day every day, every week that... Uh, Do you think it was
1: moral to, to force people to close their stores on a, on a Sunday, and moral to prevent shoppers from going out and going shopping on a Sunday, and, and if they chose to disagree with you, they would be put in jail? That's moral?
2: Uh, yeah. yeah, actually, I do. And uh, I think that there are these things, there are these values that are important to our society that aren't all commercial. There are values like family, for instance. And, but again, I can't tell when I start speaking for the family values party as opposed <laughs> to the left wing. But uh, from wherever it is that my values have come from, I think that we need to have controls on the ability of kids to drink, for instance. Uh, on on certain kinds of hard drugs, uh, on things like well, Sunday shopping. Well, first of all, that, first of that's all, maybe quaint, but I, I did support it.
1: Uh, Well, it doesn't surprise me, actually, because it's a violation of someone's private property rights. Uh, That was one of the first issues the Freedom Party was involved with when when I was involved myself, was on a Sunday shopping issue. And I don't know if Londoners remember, but we had uh, local uh, City Lights bookshop owner Mark Emery actually went to jail for employing too many people on a Sunday, which just shows you where the government's coming from. I mean, here they want to create jobs, and they put someone in jail for doing that. And that just shows to me which which is moral which do you think is moral i mean the government throwing somebody in jail for for employing too many people on a sunday because people seem, seem to think that that's the day they want off in common which is which is their right but you know rights go along with responsibilities you don't force your choices onto other people. If you believe that Sunday is a Sabbath day and it should, you shouldn't be working on that day, then it's your responsibility not to do that. It's your responsibility to make uh, agreements with your employers or with whoever else has to uh, you know, have associations with you so that they can respect your belief. But that's not a fair playing
0: field, then. If, if you have to put restrictions on your availability... Are you not in entering an uneven
1: playing field then against the people who say, yes, I will work seven days a week? Yeah, but you made that choice. It's it's a choice about you and only about you. you. And you have a right to make that put that restriction on yourself, but you don't have a right to put that restriction on your neighbor. But Sunday shopping is
2: perhaps a good example because it's one where there, there is controversy about what the good is of it, whereas like a law against murder, clearly everybody agrees there shouldn't have murder, but whether it's important that uh, there should be a day off a week for people, whatever day it was, uh, could choose any day of the week. That's something where I, I bet you there are well, a lot of people so in society who would say that's a good thing, a lot of other people who would say it's none of your darn business what I'm doing well, on any day of the week.
1: I know a number of Seventh-day Adventists who would disagree with you very strongly, and they will tell you that even by tradition you're completely wrong that Sunday is the day of rest, should be it's Saturday. actually Saturday, <laughs> and therefore they feel their rights are being violated, not only individual rights but religious rights, and I would agree with them wholeheartedly. And it just astounds me that you could sit here so cold-heartedly with, and you know, just for a feel-good thing about Sunday, uh, just talking about closing some guy's store who depends on it for making his living. Well, like, for starters, we weren't talking about closing
2: it. This is a law that had been around for a long time. It was something that, by convention, everybody had bought into at one point along the the way. At one point along the way, people had obviously all agreed we're not going to be open on a day of the week. And uh, you're right; everybody used to work on on Saturday. It was Sunday was the day of rest uh, a long time ago. And and that arises from Judeo-Christian uh, again, where a lot of our laws come from. Having said that, it's not a cold-hearted thing to say we would like to encourage a level playing field where people can spend a day at home with their families. Well, Jeff, I, I want to come back to something you said a moment or two ago. You
0: talked about uh, you weren't sure quite sure where your where your opinions came from on this, but they were kind of out there. It was kind of a you know kind of a consensus and so on again to go back to Martin and Marion's letter they, they use the phrase here um, um, should the government be able to restrict and so on and so on simply because quote they the government think the public can't be trusted to regulate itself isn't that kind of what you're talking about here I mean you're saying that you don't trust the public to regulate itself
2: well also, as you've pointed out, that you can't have a level playing field if uh, you're saying we'd like, we'd really like the idea that a lot of people would stay home with their families. However, if you don't, you will have Put an economic it, advantage over your neighbor because uh, you can go off and work while the other person staying at home. With so, their what family. You, so what you're saying that that
0: that that that's an economic inequity that we can't, that we shouldn't live with?
2: I don't know. Uh, say personally, for me personally, I supported the idea of a, of a day a week uh, with family. I just like that, and it's a warm fuzzy thing. And again, there are all kinds of good economic reasons why maybe it isn't good, although one thing I would suggest is that we don't sell any more product by being open seven days than six. It just means that it's spread out. The sales uh, are spread out over seven days instead of six. That's one could true. argue that's less economically
1: sound than uh, than having it concentrated. You say it's
0: not true? People spend more money because they spend seven yes, days?
1: and they create more wealth in the process, too. Uh, every time a dollar exchanges, you could have one dollar in your economy and every time it exchanges hands, it creates wealth because some good or service was exchanged with it. Mm-hmm. So the velocity of that dollar, the more times it exchanges, the more times it moves through the economy, the greater wealth is produced to stop that dollar from circulating and to stop people's will from being exercised on that dollar they earned. That dollar represents somebody's labor, somebody's investment, somebody's time, and they have a right to spend it when and how and where they can with any other consensual individual. Jeff's talking about some kind of level playing field. I don't know what in <laughs> what in this earth he's talking about because the level playing field is everybody leaving everybody else alone, everybody making their own choices for themselves, and to suggest for a minute that... Any individual has a right to tell another individual how to lead their life is to tilt the, the, the playing field totally in the, in, in the direction of the person who's making the choice. He has all the power, therefore he has all the responsibility.
2: Trading dollars do not create wealth. Wealth is uh, something that's created inherently. Uh, the fact that uh, you buy uh, two shirts in two different stores uh, over the course of the week doesn't mean you've created wealth as opposed to buying two shirts in one store on a particular day. There's not more wealth in society at the end of the day because you've chosen to shop on two days instead of you're one. If you spend $50, you're t- you spend $50.
1: You're taking an isolated microcosmic person, you're taking an individual who has X dollars in his pocket and applying that to the entire society. It doesn't work that way. But one of the things I regret, Uh, though, is
2: that we have been diluting a lot of the wealth of our society by service industries, by having later and later hours, by uh, having services in more and more locations, which are more convenient, but don't create any more wealth for society. They're not manufacturing anything, they're not creating anything that makes our society more wealthy than our neighbours or anybody so else. So you're
1: saying wealth is strictly something like a physical object, is that what you're saying? A service is not wealth?
2: Wealth starts uh, with a natural resource, and then we hopefully add to it with our labour. But isn't wealth also
0: time? I mean, if it's, well, more co- if it's more convenient for me to shop at a particular time, isn't it possible that that convenience is, is allowing me to create more wealth in my own life and during my own exactly. personal time?
2: Well, I guess it's, it's hard to, to put a value on personal time. Uh, you know, I, I suppose, can go right to Value on shop at time. 3 in the morning, then, then it's convenient for you, it. then that, that has value for you. But for the standpoint of a grocery store, if they have to have staff 24 hours a day, that costs them more money to sell that produce.
0: This is Talk of the Town on 1290 CJBK, left, right, and center, with Jeff Lemmer on the left, Robert Metz on the right, and yours truly somewhere in the middle, floundering around trying to understand both of these gentlemen. If you'd like to join us this morning, the telephone number is 643-1290, star 1290 on the Cantel if you have a question or a comment or you just like to join the flow we're ready to hear from you at 1290 cjbk it's left right and center jeff Schlemmer on the left bob metz on the right and we've been talking today in response to a letter and and again i'll come back to the premise of the letter um uh, our letter writers wanted to know whether our guests would consider talking about the role of government in controlling human nature For example, should the city or the province be able to restrict the operation of casinos, beer stores, etc., simply because they, the government, think the public can't be trusted to regulate itself? Um, Jeff, I want to come back to this issue of regulation, too, because certainly a lot of government regulation, a lot of laws are promulgated because somebody somewhere thinks we can't be trusted, that the individual cannot be trusted. um, we'll look for example. Well, let's come back. Let's look at cigarettes for an example. And I'm not trying to put either one of you on a hot, on a health hot seat, but here's an area where the government has very clearly said that we cannot trust people to regulate their their purchase of these things. We cannot trust them to regulate their use. So we're going to try to restrict that to a certain extent. Now we're going to restrict advertising. You can't advertise it anymore. We know it's a harmful product. I don't think we're going to argue that um it's a harmful product but we don't trust people to be able to make their own decisions about it do you support the government prohibition on tobacco advertising for example along those lines i mean does it make sense to say we don't trust the
2: individuals, so we've got to step in and, and and take you know take care of this for them i guess there's a couple of issues one is that generally yes i think that uh, that government has a role in regulating uh, tobacco and part of the reason is that we've seen in the united states for instance where uh, there have been lawsuits that have been settled for for billions of dollars based on allegations that the tobacco companies have added ingredients that will make them more addictive than they otherwise would be. Uh, I guess that's one side of regulation, that is uh, regulating the product. The other side, as far as whether you can watch a uh, cigarette commercial on TV or not, uh, that's, a, that's a much tougher issue. It's not as clear to me that that's something that if if they're saying that we don't want adults to see these ads because it'll make them go buy cigarettes i would disagree with that Mm -hmm. that's that's too intrusive the other side of it though is the whole question of the way they regulate and the model they use now which is this micromanagement model and if you see the, the actual regulations for anything like cigarettes or whatever it's hundreds of pages and it's just to me ridiculous the way we've gotten into this government where nobody has any discretion absolutely everything has to be written down uh, and I, I think I've mentioned before in your show this uh, book I had read, uh, The Death of Common Sense, by a lawyer uh, in New York City talking about this model coming along about 30 years ago, where prior to that, government had relatively little law They would pass a statute, and that was it. Uh, and there would be some case law, but they got into this idea that for every scenario you could possibly envisage, you have to have something written down saying this is what you're supposed to do. And I think that's just choking us. Uh, we've talked before about the cost of litigation, for starters, mm-hmm. but even just the cost of running government. Uh, the the paperwork is just uh, just drowning so, us. so
0: you would say you, you alluded earlier to the uh the role of these uh, uh these this prohibition in keeping perhaps uh, keeping children from being exposed to that but it's okay for adults bob do you see a problem with prohibitions that would try to protect our children from
1: from negative influences well children are their parents responsibility that's my first thing i would have to say in that sense and children are, when we talk about rights and, and and individual responsibilities, children are not part of that equation. They're a whole separate subject, and I hope maybe we'll discuss that someday. Mm-hmm. But uh, when we're talking about adults, which is a whole other matter, I don't see any reason for any adult to have any power over another adult or to be able to control him. So, you know, t- talking about tobacco advertising, no, I, I don't agree with prohibitions on tobacco advertising other than those regulations that are already in place for all advertising. Uh, Certainly advertisers should not be allowed to misrepresent their product, Mm -hmm. as Jeff alluded to cigarettes. That's misrepresentation. Mm -hmm. It's a totally different moral principle that's been broken. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and people smoke and do drugs and gamble and uh, whatever else, they do it all on their own choice. They bear the consequences until their habit forces someone else to bear a consequence. The law has no right to intervene there's what a lot we can do to influence people if we think they're doing something wrong but we can't violate their rights in the process of doing that one of the things that arises from tobacco for instance
2: is that you know that statistically the people are going to inter- intervene in other people's rights when they're admitted to hospital with cancer we're going to spend a lot Well, no of they don't it.
1: intervene in anyone's rights they go into a hospital as a patient the problem with our with our with our health care system is that the health care system intervenes in our rights it makes other people pay for some guy's bad smoking habits. Because but I guess we have a we have a forced medical health care system.
2: At some point, our our sort of uh, collective good nature intervenes, and we may say, "Look, at you were an idiot for going out and smoking because you you should have known it was going to give you cancer. Therefore, we're not going to pay for hundreds of thousands of dollars of medical treatment for you. We we haven't right, gone that way." That's why
1: private insurance companies should be paying for that, and private insurance companies used to have special rates for smokers, both health High and and in, 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 in life insurance. And it wasn't like the, the, the risk was un, um, impossible to meet. It just meant a slightly higher r- rate on your insurance
0: premium. 643-1290 is the telephone number, and we've got Dan with us. Good morning, Dan.
2: Hi. Yeah, I, yeah, I was really interested a few minutes ago when you were talking about the Sunday shopping issue. That, that was the reason why I got associated with the Freedom Party way back when. Uh-huh. And I see it as, uh, as a, a case of uh, majority rule, really. Uh, you know, I think it's an illusion that we live in a democracy, you know. Uh, that existed in ancient Greece way back when, and really we don't live in a democracy. Well,
0: it depends what your definition is. Some people would well, define... it, it d- is
2: a specific definition. It's one man, one
0: veto. And uh, it only lasted for a few weeks in ancient Greece and because it couldn't
2: work. And so we shouldn't really use the word democracy when we describe uh, today's society. It's It's like democracy, so it's democratic. But it's not really democracy per se. It really is majority rule.
0: Thanks, Dan. Bob, I want to ask you about that. He used the term one man, one veto. Most of us are more familiar with the phrase one man, one vote. Is there a significant difference between the two?
1: Well, I found it very fascinating. It's the first time I've heard it. And I kind of like the concept because one of the basic things that's that's fundamental to any right is the right to say no, to say no. It's simply that. Mm -hmm. I want to say no to your idea. You may think that socialized medicine is great. You may think it's great to close stores on Sunday. But I think that I should have a right to veto. To me, that would be the perfect democratic right um, in that sense. Now, as to the other point, democracy versus majority rule, yes. I think the first decision we have to make is whether we want to be in a free democracy. Democracy suits totalitarian regimes as well. I mean, the Soviet Union was technically a Mm -hmm. democracy. I think they were cheating, though. Well, no, they weren't. They they were basically... They just defined the democracy according to the terms of who they wanted to vote. We do the same things here. We have commissions of election finances. We have regulatory bodies. We have commissions that, that tell guys like Jim here that if he wants to run in politics, he has to give up his radio job, which is ridiculous. I mean, these are all tremendous violations on our individual freedoms and our right democratic rights, basic democratic rights. And in a free society, the majority is is subservient to this principle of individual rights. We do not have the right to vote away someone else's rights. Let's put it you, that way.
2: What do you do in the race, like traffic laws, for instance, where we have a law, uh, speed laws, for instance, that are widely disobeyed? Uh, if one was trying to say w- that the law should reflect the will of society, uh, do these laws reflect what we want right now well, when I would we don't think,
1: obey them? I, I would think a speed law generally, objectively, would reflect... Uh, the optimum speed at which one can travel safely on a given highway or road that would be the reason you would think that a certain speed limit would be set and yet they're and not. We know that uh, our speed laws were set
2: back in 1973 during the OPEC uh, oil because crisis. Because of the oil crisis, and they lower
1: yes. And you'll find that most people disobeyed those speed laws because their cars traveled more comfortably at, you know, 60, 65 instead of 55. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've even found where they have no speed laws or very high speed, speed limits, people still stay in that same basic range. There's also the comfort with your vehicle and with your car. But as to a speed limit, I don't think you have to look at it as a black-and-white, cold-hard law where, boy, you went... 61 miles an hour in a 60 mile an hour zone, you you gotta be nailed. I think what speed limits are very useful for is in determining liability and responsibility in cases where perhaps something terrible happened. Like but how does, that, how
0: does that protect you if you're the victim of that something terrible? Again, some idiot has been driving you at You cannot
1: be protected from people's irresponsible actions. You cannot be protected by that. Again, law is a recourse of instrument. So that if you if you ran into some guy on the highway and you're doing 100 miles an hour, well, then I would say that you're pretty darn responsible for that accident because you are gone way over the recommended speed limit for that highway. But again, we just said the recommended speed limit is not based on safety.
2: And, and for me, speed laws are fascinating in the sense that they're one of the few areas where we've actually regressed in terms of our progress over the last 30 years. 30 years ago, the speed limit on the 401 was higher than it is now. It takes us yes. longer to get places now than it did 30 years ago. And
1: I objected to that very greatly because, I, you know, to me, here, here the taxpayer was sold a we were told we were going to be able to go 70 miles an hour down the 401 London to Toronto you could make the trip in a real quick time and that's why we're going to take your millions and millions of dollars to give you this this benefit so they put the road in place and then they lower the speed limit for a totally bogus reason i'm not i'm not defending the speed limit that they put in arbitrary or politically because of OPEC or anything like that. I'm assuming when I'm talking about speed limits that I'm talking about some objective standard. Okay, I want to come back and talk,
0: I want to talk about that in a second, but we've got Brenda
3: waiting. Good morning, Brenda. Uh, good morning, how are you? Great, thanks. Um, I think that the government is going, it, it, they're, they're coming in the back door on re, trying to regulate morality. I certainly think that the government has a responsibility to protect society from, from harm.
0: From harm, okay.
3: Okay, now, um, when you, start, when you start talking about morality, you're talking about invisible harm. You're talking about corruption of your soul and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. So, I mean, it's it, that, that's a judgment call based on what your value system is. But I think the government does have a responsibility to inform and educate. So let's take the issue of uh, women walking around without their shirts on. Mm-hmm. I personally think that it's a good idea that women should not be considered criminals for bearing their breasts in public. Um, I have four sons, and I would like my sons to grow up with the onus in mind that women's breasts are for nursing babies. Mm -hmm. And secondarily, they can be sexually attractive. Mm -hmm. But that is a personal private thing Mm -hmm. for the bedroom. Mm -hmm. And I think after a few generations of the public... um, Being informed and educated on that subject, maybe women won't be treated so much like sexual objects Mm -hmm. in first place. Mm -hmm. But to put on regulations, like I say, it's coming in the back door. We're just going to always end up in these tremendous moral debates between the right wing and the left wing Mm -hmm. saying this is bad. Well, no, it's not bad. It's good. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like I don't particularly think that we should have any restriction on the age for drinking. Yeah, I think. That children um, will, uh, you know, if they're exposed to the stuff, they'll learn their limits. They'll know what it tastes like. They'll they'll know how much they can handle. Mm-hmm. Instead of going out in their first frat party and drinking 12 beers, thinking they can handle it, yeah. and then trying to stand up and finding out they can't.
0: Yeah, or slipping behind the wheel of a car, finding exactly. they can't drive. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, Good points today, Brenda.
3: Bye-bye. Thank you
0: very much. Um, I was going to talk about the speeding, but I want to follow Brenda's up because I think that's another example. Here's an area where, again, the government... Um, governments at at several levels uh, agree that this is a reasonable restriction on our rights because we can't be trusted to regulate ourselves. Parents cannot be trusted to teach their children how to use alcohol responsibly. Uh, Nobody can really be trusted to use it responsibly. Bob, you've said that you you don't think there should be an age limit. Jeff, do you think there should be an age limit for legal consumption of alcohol?
2: Well, that's a tough one and uh, Brenda's comment uh, makes me think about uh, something Bob had said, and that is that it's the job of parents to raise children, and I think as a parent it's like I can use all the help I can get uh, and you know I'm thinking about Hillary Clinton and takes a village to raise a child and all that stuff I don't know uh, on the one hand uh, it's I hate things that are arbitrary to say at age 19 suddenly you can go and have a dozen beers you know it's just ridiculous that it works that way yeah, at
0: 1159 you're not capable 1159 right. 59 you're not capable and at a 12 you know one exactly. one you are
2: and in some ways we're lazy as a society by passing these arbitrary laws like that on the other hand maybe uh, I'm thinking about If you're a government, uh, what is your role? Should you follow sort of the public uh, uh, will, or should you ever try and lead it, you know, and should you recognize that there are these things that we're going to take shortcuts and say, look, it'd be nice if we could introduce people gradually to alcohol, but the fact is a lot of people aren't going to do that. We're just going to cut it off your bank. You know, when our police have nice, clear laws to, to this is the way it works, bang. Uh, in some respects, it seems like some of these laws are, are something we do as a convenience, a shortcut, rather than taking the,
1: the uh, drawn-out hard course of raising children to be moral adults. I, I absolutely. I agree with just about everything Jeff said on that issue there, except in the one where, where you said you could use help being a parent or something. Did you Were you implying that that you would like government assistance in being a parent, because I would warn you that the moment you're talking about government assistance, again, that element of force comes back into it, and your choices are taken away. So the government is not capable of helping you without becoming the parent in itself. But again, if if the government is
2: reflecting the values of the community, what I'm saying is I would like all the help of the community that I can get to raise my kids if they're out somewhere and they're in in some kind of distress because they're drunk or oh, whatever. Oh, voluntary I want the community to of help. Community associations, absolutely. In the face yeah. of it seems to often okay. be the police because they're the ones who rove around. Okay, let's
0: get back to the let's get back to the highway again because I think there's an interesting area that we have not yet explored in terms of restrictions, uh, government restrictions. The government does not trust us to operate our vehicles uh, within safe parameters. That is, I think, one of the reasons why we have speed limits. There may be others, but I think that's one of them. The reality is that automobiles today are a lot safer on the highways than than they were 20 or 30 years ago, and I speak as as a car buff. Um, there are some increased dangers today. There are a lot of smaller automobiles out there that are perhaps more vulnerable if they get hit. But in terms of braking and responsiveness of engines and, and uh, emissions and the whole panoply, cars today, are, uh, generally speaking, are better built or safer, can be operated uh, more consistently at higher speeds than they used to. Um, you could make a case in the 401, I think, quite easily to up the speed limit by 10 or 20 or 30 kilometers an hour, and the automobiles would have no trouble uh, operating safely. But the people... The people don't have the skills. We still don't require that skill level of people. I mean, you know, with minimal skills, you can still get a driver's license. What is the government's role there? I mean, uh, the, some people have said that one of the reasons we keep the speed limits where they are, even though the vehicles are capable of, of again, as I said, of operating safely at higher speeds, is because the people are not capable. Is that a valid use of, uh, of the government's, again, Robert, a re- use of force to say you cannot do that? Is that a valid response to the fact that we have no real requirements of people to attain any meaningful skill level before they give them a, a, a driving license.
1: Well, again, you're, you're, you seem to be suggesting that our speed limits are there because people are not to be trusted. I don't think trust has anything to do with it. I think it has to do, again, with the objective... What's the optimum safety level given a volume of traffic? I mean, they have engineers and people that should be sitting down looking at these problems, mm-hmm. looking at the logistics, looking at the curvature of the lane, whether it can sustain a, an 80-kilometer-an-hour turn or whether it can sustain whatever. They're the people that know these. I, I would like to think... That's, that speed limits are set, not because the government doesn't trust me, but because the government trusts me to obey them and to understand that they are in place for my safety. But what I'm and saying
0: is if you've got a modern automobile today, a, you know, a Ford Taurus today, with, with mm-hmm. all the all these safety features and and braking capacities and all of these things, that automobile can operate safely with a competent driver at a much
2: higher speed than you're allowed to drive in this province. I agree. Sure it can. But nobody's suggesting but, that uh, people are less competent than they were 30 years ago, uh, I think that though it the thing about the 401 is that, uh, as Robert says, you know, your rights begin and end at where they affect someone else. On a, on the 401, your your actions can affect someone else really f- quickly. You know, the instant their bumper starts coming through your door, all of a sudden they're affecting your rights. And it seems like where we we have that microcosm of all being in something that's sort of scary together, we seem to agree that we all have to impose this discipline on ourselves and say, okay, we're going to agree to these certain things as we go along, even though some of them I, I think don't make sense, like the speed laws, which are out of date. But you raise an interesting point, and uh, Brenda did. As well about the role of government in, in educating people and informing people about things and maybe there is a st- uh, stronger role there right now uh, or should be for driving for instance maybe government should be more active and in- interventionist than that i'm thinking about changes since the 401 was started one of them is that there's way more trucks than there used to be mm-hmm. for instance and i don't know sort of uh, who's doing anything about that uh, and now one could argue that maybe it's it's not for government to to intervene it's, it's well
1: the issue normally it would not be but in this case The government owns the roads, okay, so it is the sole ownership of the roads. And just as if you were an owner of some object or some property, you would have the right to determine what the rules for your property are going to be when other people are allowed on your property. When I go and get my license, I'm consenting to those rules. I sign a little piece of paper that says I'm going to obey all the rules and regulations of the province of Ontario or whoever Mm -hmm. whoever it is. You don't have much negotiating Uh, power
2: in that contract.
1: No, but, uh, but I have the negotiating power in the sense that I don't have to get a driver's license or if or if we were in a truly free society, we'd have a lot of free free toll roads run by private companies who may let me on their, on their freeway without wearing my seatbelt and without having a helmet on a, if I was on a bike, and that might be their business. Well, we have the 407. Uh,
0: oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bob, I'll give you the last word today on this. Back to uh, Martin and, and Marion's uh, idea. Is there a role for government to uh, regulate us because the government thinks the public can't be trusted?
1: No. That's about as simple an answer as I can give you. Government really doesn't have any rights. Government has an authority to protect our rights. And if we choose to do things that are harmful to ourselves, or even if other people think they're harmful, uh, but do not harm others, the government really has no legitimate role um, beyond other issues that Jeff raised earlier, perhaps with mentally... um, you know, handicapped mm. people or things like that. But uh, certainly anyone who has their rights has the freedom to go along with those rights and the responsibility. Uh, surely, if anyone does anything of harm to anyone else, whether they're because of their gambling or their drug habit or their alcohol problem, then I strongly believe that the...